All right, good morning again. Good to have you all with us for our one worship today. If you would get your bulletins out and uh, the tear-off portion in the back is for any guests. If you would fill out the blue side, put that in the offering plate as it goes by. We'll follow up with you about Mechanicsville Baptist. And then on the other side, uh, prayer requests would be, we'd love for you to give those at the bottom on the yellow page. Put them in the offering plate as well. We'll pray for you on our staff time on Tuesdays. On the back are some announcements for the week. Wrapping up the summer, can believe it, if you can believe it or not. Uh, today, we do have our encounter service at 5 and youth at 6. And then uh, this week, we do have our midweek Bible study on Wednesday. And then fellowship breakfast is 7.30 a.m. at Cold Harbor. Um, was there other announcements? Do you remember anything else? That's about all I have for the week. It's kind of crazy. So, Kevin, if you want to just make an announcement, go ahead. Okay. All right. So, anyway, welcome again to worship. Glad you're here with us. And look forward to seeing what God is going to do in our one service today. Well, good morning. If you were just in Sunday school, we heard about how that Jesus needed to be present in everything we do. So before we start our service with our call to worship, I want to just um, invite Jesus to be with us. So would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. And as we begin our worship service today, Father God, I pray that Jesus will be present with us, in us, around us, and that we'll forget the afternoon and we'll forget our worries and our cares and we'll give it all to you. We love you and we praise your name. Amen. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. First Chronicles 16:31. I just had the pleasure of speaking with two of our lovely ladies in the congregation, and I'm not going to share who they are. And they said, we would love to sing, but we can't. Hmm. And this is what I told them, and I'm going to tell everybody out there. God doesn't care how you think your voice is. He just wants to hear your voice. So whether you think you can sing or not, please join us. In our call to worship, how great is our God? If you need the words, turn to page five. Remember, we only do the chorus only. And if you don't need the words, then stand up and start greeting. Find somebody you don't know or somebody you love that you haven't seen and tell them you love them and welcome to our service. Please stand and start greeting.
Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we'll start on. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are uh, above all, that you are in all, and that you are in charge of the church. God, we thank you that the church is yours and that you know what to do. So God, we trust you and we thank you, Lord, that you have called us into your family. You've adopted us into your, uh, your family and you've uh, called us your sons and your daughters. And God, we pray that as we live and as we love and as we serve and as we glorify you, Jesus, that uh, you would change hearts and you would change this world. God, we pray that this service this day would bring you glory and that you would be at the very center of everything we are. And so, God, we give you praise for what you're going to do. We thank you for your Holy Spirit being amongst us and uh, for working in a way that's going to touch us once again. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we have the privilege of witnessing baptism. If you recall in the book of Acts, when the Ethiopian eunuch heard the word, he asked, what prevents me from being baptized? And there was nothing to prevent him from being baptized because the first act of obedience in following Christ is baptism. And so we come this morning thankful for the opportunity that our Lord has given us to be a part of baptism our own baptism, and to witness baptism. This morning, Luke Silva comes, having grown up in our congregation. You can see him, can't you? Grown up in our congregation, having been taught at an early age that Jesus loves him, recognizing that in his life, he needed to make a profession of faith and a commitment to Jesus Christ. And so he has done so. And so we affirm him this morning in this next step, this step of obedience in following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Luke, with that in mind, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Buried with our Lord in baptism and resurrected in newness of life. What prevents you from coming to the water? Our Lord calls us, invites us to come. Will you come? Good morning. So as we begin singing praises to our Lord, I 
and I invite you to open your hymnal to page 511, the solid rock. You know, uh, if you like me, I've been in the church yeah, all my life, and I remember singing these wonderful hymns all my life. And sometimes when we sing them, we just, we just kind of sing them because we're used to them. But really pay attention to the words. I love that first line of the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Let's stand and sing that together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all Turn with us in the back of your hymnals for our responsive reading to page 860. We're going to do responsive reading number 24, Unity in Christ, on page 860 in the back of your hymnals. And uh, there are worship leader, women, worship participants, which would be all of you. And then there's a men as well. So then worship leader, worship participants, and then all of us together. So it's a little complicated, but I think we'll be fine. Unity in Christ. Page 860, number 24. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly and love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. All right, again, I ask you to get your hymnals. As we stand and sing together, the church is one foundation. That's hymn number 346. Hymn 346, please stand. Offertory prayer. Let's bow your heads as we pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for another chance for us to meet together in your house to worship you. Father, believe in the book of the first Corinthians, and I pray that all our offerings today are out of love. We experience your blessings every day. And your blessings are always given to us freely and with the ultimate love. Father, you loved us all the way that you went to the cross. May we love you enough to give what you 
have given us. It is already yours. Bless these tithes and offerings today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let me lift up the 
servant. Make me a servant today. Make me a servant Shall we pray? Eternal God, we bow in your presence on a day that you have given to us, set aside for worship, set aside for listening, set aside for fellowship with one another as believers in Jesus Christ. We are grateful, Father, that we have had the opportunity today to witness the baptism of Luke. How grateful we are, Father, for the commitment he has made to you. Help us, Father, as his church family to nurture him through Sunday school and through other opportunities of learning and growth. We're grateful, Father, that he has taken this first step of obedience in following you. We're grateful, Father, for the time that we have spent already today around your word. We're thankful for the Sunday school and for the fellowship that we could have together and for the learning and the challenges that can take place and did. We're grateful, Father, that as we lift one another up in prayer, we know that you hear our prayers and are able to respond to the needs of your people. For those who are ill, we lift them up. For those who are facing difficult diagnoses, we lift them up. Whatever the circumstances, Father, we give them to you and know that you are at work in their lives. Bless them. Bring healing to their bodies. We're thankful, Father, for your word. For in your word we find power. In your word we find instruction. And in your word, Father, we find redemption through Jesus Christ. May we study your word with an open heart and an open mind. We're thankful, Father, for the gift of this time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23, a familiar discourse in the gospel of Jesus speaking with his disciples. And so we begin reading at verse 13 of chapter 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. One day a crowded airline flight was counseled. There was a single gate agent at the desk who was responsible for rebooking the long line of inconvenienced and irritated travelers. Suddenly an angry passenger pushed his way to the desk and slapped his ticket down on the counter and said, I have to be on the next flight. I'm sorry, sir. I'll be happy to try to help you when it's your turn. But first, I've got to help these folks who are in line ahead of you. Not being put off. The angry passenger asked loudly so all could hear. Do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitating, the gate agent grabbed her public address microphone and her voice bellowed through the terminal saying, May I have your attention, please? I have a passenger here at gate 17 who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him discover his identity, please come to gate 17. The folks laughed hysterically while the man gritted his teeth and returned to his place in line. Although everyone was frustrated that their flight had been canceled, they handled the inconvenience a bit more lightheartedly. In the story that we look at today, we will witness Jesus asking his disciples a question similar to the question asked by the angry passenger. In our scripture passage today, we find Jesus at about the midway point in his ministry. He had led his disciples for perhaps a year and a half, guiding and teaching them. Now he announces that he is ready to build his church. Today's sermon deals with the foundation of that church. First, we need to move beyond the wrong answers as we look at this passage of Scripture. There were many assessments of Jesus ranging from intense fear and hatred to love and adoration. Jesus' first question brought out some of the current assessments. By many, Jesus was seen to be a prophet. Some saw him as John the Baptist brought back to life or a second John the Baptist. Although Jesus was seen in the role of a prophet and accepted that designation, this term was not adequate. For Jesus could not build on that alone, and he saw himself in a higher role. He saw himself above Moses, above John, above all the prophets. This is reflected not only in what he said, but especially in the promises he made, in the demands he made, and in every manner in which he moved among people. The crucial question. Jesus asked the one question that is always preliminary to involvement in the church. And you looked at it this morning a little bit in Sunday school. Who do people say the Son of Man is? In the tangle of competing religions and sects today, the question remains, who do you say Jesus Christ is? 
In this question, the entire Christian faith is focused. If you cannot answer that question correctly, led by the Spirit, then nothing that we do can ever be to the glory of God. One cannot become a Christian nor continue as a Christian until answering this question correctly. Some wrong answers always surface. The disciples repeated what they had heard others say. They told Jesus that some thought he was John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or some other prophet. In our own day, we hear the same general answers. Some say that Jesus is the greatest religious teacher who ever lived. Others pay him tribute for his ethical standards. Still others give him credit for the love he exhibited in his life. But the question has to be answered. And it has to be answered correctly in order to be the church of Jesus Christ. The question becomes personal and individual in this passage. Jesus restated the question in the way that we have to face it in our lives. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? It is a question that is directed at each of us personally. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's the most crucial question in all of our faith. Who is Jesus? And what does Jesus mean to you? Jesus said on this answer, I can build my church. The foundation of the church, the rock, he said, a reflection on knowledge about Jesus. Enlisting all the conjectures of the people, the wrong answers, the disciples had gone through a helpful process to arrive at the correct answer. We have all heard many things about Jesus Christ, some which are true. But the process of hearing the gospel and various interpretations is part of the process to faith. However, we must evaluate that information carefully. Sometimes the wrong answers lead to realizing the right answers. Simon Peter's confession is clear here. Peter did more than answer the question correctly. He confessed his own faith in Jesus Christ as son of the living God. For wasn't it Peter who later said that even the demons know who Jesus is? But they weren't willing to follow him in sacrifice and in faith. This confession is always more than the correct doctrinal answer to a religious question. It includes a personal element of belief on the part of the person making the confession. Jesus could not build the church until there were people who could make this honest confession. And no one can make the confession for you. It has to be from you personally. No one can do for you what Christ asks you to do in your relationship to him but you. Who do you say that I am? It's easy to deflect Onto other things, isn't it? As the disciples were doing. It's easy to say what others are believing, what others are thinking, because that's safe, isn't it? But what do you think? What matters to you? Jesus accepted Peter's confession. 
Because Peter did more than answer the question correctly. He confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. This confession is always more than the correct doctrinal answer. It includes a personal element of belief on the part of the person making the confession. Jesus could not build his church until there were people who could make this confession. The building of the church requires more than someone's mere confession though. It requires acceptance of the confession. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. You see, Jesus' acceptance of Peter is as important as Peter's confession of Jesus. Faith is a two-way commitment. It is not just a person's attitude of trust in God. It involves God's acceptance of our faith in Him. Jesus knew Peter's heart at that moment. The right answer was reached in the right way. We all probably remember from our early school years in math that our teacher was quite concerned that we found the right answer by working the problem in the right way. It was not enough to guess the answer or to get the answer from somebody else. The point of math was to learn how to solve the problem so that we could do it again, right? Because in all the math books I had in all the years of school, the answers were always in the back. Why do you think they put them back there? Didn't matter. They wanted to see how you got to the answer, not what the answer was. The same could be said of Peter's confession. What did it take to bring Peter to that point in his life? In this instance, Peter not only gave the right answer to Jesus' question, but he also arrived at that answer in the right way. Please note that Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This marvelous reply shows the very nature of Christian revelation. Jesus had been teaching the disciples for many months. They knew the answers in the way that we know of an entirely different nature. Jesus indicated that something had been happening in Peter's heart and mind. Sometimes we refer to this kind of incident as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Something had got a hold of Peter and what had been revealed to Peter did not come from another human being. It came from the Spirit of God Himself. We see that very clearly, don't we? Because up until that point, what had they been talking about? What others had been saying, what other men had been saying, what others believed. You see, ministry is done in many different ways to reach many different people. And no way is necessarily wrong. People are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then the answer is the right answer. But the builder of the church is Christ. The church which Jesus promised to build is his church. Church translates the Greek ecclesia, which in turn translates the Hebrew term quail in the Latin Vulgate. Both Hebrew and Greek words literally designate a calling out. Quahal can designate Israel as a whole or assembled congregation. And Ecclesia can designate the church in a universal sense or in a local assembly. Jesus is the builder because he has revealed God to humanity. Jesus' statement, this was not revealed to you by man, means that Peter did not reach his conclusion as one acquires other information. Peter's confession of faith was not simply an event in history. It was a lesson in life. 
Faith is as deep as life itself. It goes beyond the relatively shallow depth of learning. When Jesus said to, to that, man, that no man, but rather his Father in heaven, had revealed the answer to Jesus' identity, he implied that God had been moving in Peter's heart and mind. This is exactly what happens when we are in church listening to God's word. We cannot be the church that God calls us to be unless Christ is in the center. And the confession that has to be made is spelled out for us very clearly in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is the builder because we put our faith in Him. Since Jesus reveals God the Father to us, when we confess our faith in Him, the foundation is laid on which He can build our lives into the family of Jesus. Because Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the builder because we cannot do it by ourselves. We often misunderstand the church. We think we can organize it or build it by our own efforts. The true church is dependent on Jesus Christ and we must build our foundation on Him. My fear so many times is that we have made church a reflection of our business community. We have made it corporate, if you will. Structured it in that way. And sometimes I think it loses its power. Because it has been revealed to us out of our own way of doing things. How we should do church and not necessarily out of the way that Christ says we should reach out to people. I've told you this before, but I, this story is so relevant here in terms of foundations. In Buena Vista, Virginia, on Forest Avenue, there are two houses that obviously were built over what used to be a pond or a sinkhole or something because they are uh, regular ranch-style houses with with uh, por uh, with. Um, Carports on each end, and if you drive by Forest Avenue, even on this day, you can see those houses, and they're going in like this. So if you're in one end of the house, you've got to walk uphill to be in the other end. They're literally sinking and have been ever since I was a child and would ride my bike up there when I was visiting with my grandmother and see those houses. And still to this day, sometimes when I'm real curious, I'll still drive by those houses. I have been known to take buses by that house just so they could see what happens when you build on the wrong foundation. You see, if you build on the wrong foundation, it'll tell on you. It'll show up on you. And the same thing can happen in the church when we build on the wrong foundation. The building of Christ is the church. It is always a group of people. Too often we think of the church as a building or a place. Instead, the church is an assembly of believers. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will worship the church building and not the reason the church was erected. Church is not primarily an institution. The church is the community of the people of God gathered in a fellowship by the mutual experience of faith in Jesus Christ. The church is the people of God, the body of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It is a fellowship of Christians. It is truly the church when those who compare it are individual believers in Jesus Christ. People cannot inherit their parents' faith. 
At some point they must choose to accept Jesus or reject him. The church is a community of believers. It is a community of faithful believers. They are in the process of growing in faith. Their ultimate goal is to be completely faithful. Final judgment will be voiced in the words, You have been faithful. Christ is willing to take sinners into His church through the doors of forgiveness because in the church He can make faithful persons of them. But the thing that is beautiful about Jesus is He takes us where we are and transforms us. Look at what he did with the disciples. Look at the backgrounds they came from. Some fishermen, some tax collectors. Various backgrounds. And he took all of them into his congregation, if you will. And he showed them how they could be changed. And how in being changed, they would have the opportunity to change others. Because it is a victorious body. The expression, the gates of hell will not overcome it, portrays the church as a militant body pursuing its mission. The church storms the gates of death and emerges victorious. It snatches people from the jaws of eternal death and helps them become children of God, destined to live with Him forever. No victory can be greater than this. Often in the church we we cringe before the challenge that lies ahead of us. We are surrounded by a culture that scares us. We must come to terms with that culture and influence it with the life-changing power of God's word. The church was intended to change culture, not to be changed by it. The church that Christ built as a group of loving people determined that all people know God's love. And I'm convinced that the church of Jesus Christ will never die. Because the scripture is very clear that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. No evil can destroy the church. Now that doesn't mean that a local body of believers might cease to exist. But I'm talking about the church. As long as there are people who have given their life to the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come into the world to save us from our sins, there will be a church. It is a forgiving body. Jesus' promise to Peter about binding and loosing has to do with the forgiveness of sins. It is a mistake to believe that the church in some institutional sense can decide who can be saved And who can be lost? Rather, it means that the church, by its faithfulness or unfaithfulness in proclaiming the gospel, literally opens or leaves closed the doors to heaven. When the church is faithful to its task, it opens the doors of the church by offering Jesus' forgiveness to sinners. We can be closed or we can be open. Whatever you bind on earth or loose on earth will be loosed, and whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed. The question raised and answered at Caesarea Philippi had to do with the identity of Jesus. Having accepted the disciples' confession of him as the Christ, Jesus moved next to indicate the way which was his and theirs to follow. 
And Matthew records that Jesus three times declared that it would be the way of the cross. The way of utter self-denial and self-giving. The deepest paradox of the gospel is set forth here. One saves life only by losing it. He lives only by dying. The one true triumph is through the cross. And notice that's when Peter wanted to turn back. Oh no Lord. Not you. That's Satan speaking. I can't do it. It's too hard for me. I'm not sacrificing that much. And the very one who had confessed him as Lord, the Son of God, was told by that same one, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is an object that will not move. He is the foundation of our faith. The faithful rock who never moves, never changes in his love for us. We can be sure that if we set our eyes on him, our path will be straight. When the disciples arrived at the confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, Jesus was ready to establish his church on the confession and on that it entailed. You can become a true part of the church only when you receive Christ by faith as your Savior and Lord. Invite Him to enter your life and discover what He can do. Who do you say that I am? Don't just answer Jesus' question. Go live the answer. Discover the rockiness that Jesus knows you to be. Live with hope in the midst of despair. Love your neighbor as yourself. Though the gates of death open to you, know they cannot prevail. Care for the poor. Feed the hungry. And defend the oppressed. Offer forgiveness despite your anger. Pray when you are too busy to pray. Love your enemies despite your fear. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Practice generosity. Re-center even when it feels like you cannot stand up. Do these. Be the rock. Be the rock on which Jesus' church stands before the world. It's messy business. I discovered this morning that there was a hole in my waders. So I have preached to you today with a very wet leg. I blame it on Luke. No, no. That's the illustration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it can get messy. Sometimes you're going to get something on you. Sometimes you're going to be with wet feet. But thank God, we have a rock to stand on. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are thankful for the power of your word. For we know, Father, that as we proclaim your word to others, We open the doors to forgiveness and hope. Help us, Father, to make Christ central in our lives. 
As we confess him, may we move from this place into the world in which we live, confessing him today, tomorrow, and until you call us home. So that we might be your servants. In the name of Jesus, amen. Trusting Jesus is our invitation hymn, hymn number 515. Peter trusted Jesus. Peter trusted Jesus more at other times than he did at other times. But Jesus was able to use him. And as long as we're willing to stand on that rock, he can use us too. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior. He calls to you. Listen to the calling. Confess Jesus as we stand and sing hymn number 515.
Thank you for being a part of this special day as we had joint Sunday school. Thank you, Dwight, for teaching Sunday school this morning and uh, for our joint worship service today. Next week, we will be back to our two services as well as Sunday school uh, in between. So uh, I'm grateful that you've come to be a part of this service today as we conclude our week of praying for fellowship and community. And we begin a new week, as Mike said, in Sunday school today, because today is the first day of the week. So please follow along in your book. If you don't have one, it is online. If you need a book, we have some in the office. If you want to stop by and get one, we'll be glad to give that to you as well. Uh, There is an announcement that was left out. Uh, It was not in the bulletin. Uh, And I didn't get a chance to uh, get with Dwight because of baptism. Robin Brightwell, on Wednesday evening at 6.30, we're going to have a prayer walk at her house at 7166 Verity Lane, which is a dump road. Uh, Most of you know what is that. Uh, Robin's cancer has reoccurred. And uh, she is in chemo and she needs our prayers. And we're doing this with her permission. Um... And so I hope that if you would join us there at uh, 6.30 on uh, Wednesday. Uh, I have another obligation that night for something else, so I won't be there, but I helped set this up, and Robin knows. And uh, so, But if you can go, please go and be a part of that um, uh, prayer walk at Robin's house on uh, Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, at uh, 6.30. And then on September the 5th, if you remember I announced last week about going back to Nicholsville, I have 10 people that have given me uh, on a scale of, uh, a floating scale of definitely going to maybe going, I have 10 people so far. You're still able to sign up and go. But we will have a meeting on September 5th to give you all the information you need and have the form you need to fill out. The form does not obligate you. It's just, you know, we have to have a release form for them down there. The cost of the trip will be $200 per person, uh, and that'll cover your lodging and your food and transportation there. So uh, that's how much it will be, and we are plan- we're planning on going November 5th through the 10th. So uh, keep that in mind. But our organizational meeting is September the 5th. It's a very good trip. If you think you can't go, you can go because there's something for everybody to do. And uh, there's a way that uh, it's structured so that uh, if you're not able to do a whole lot, they can find something for you to do. Okay? So if you want to go, it's a good time not only um, to be missionaries there, but also a time of fellowship with the group that goes as well. You get to know one other quite well on a trip like that. The rooms are very nice that we stay in, and so a very comfortable place to be if that concerns you. Um, so I hope that you will consider that. What would you say? Eat at Teddy's. Yeah, eat at Teddy's. We do eat at Teddy's, which is right there in... Nicholsville has a Dollar General of Teddy's in another store, and that's about it, you know. But uh, anyway, we work, do a lot of work down in Gate City when we're there, which is the metropolis, if there is such a thing. Uh, You're not as far back in the woods as you think when you're there, though, because it's only about 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes to Kingsport, Tennessee. So you're not as far back as you might think you are in the woods. So anyway, if woods scare you, so... (laughs) Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart today, we do so recognizing that you are Lord of our lives. And as we go, Father, we go with that message into the world. Help us, Father, to be committed to you in your church. Because this is the place you've established for your believers to come and to grow and to learn and to nurture one another in the faith and to tell others of Jesus as well. 
May we take that message into the world in which we work and live and do it because of the great faith that has come to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.